Talk Zone presents Motivation with a Purpose Radio, the show that highlights the inspirational stories of people from all walks of life. Now, bringing you real inspiration, here are your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome once again on this Friday morning to Talk Zone and Motivation with a Purpose. I'm Rich Hallstrom. My co-host, Zeke Bambolo, who is usually here, is away on special assignments, so we wish him well for the, for the weekend and the rest of this week. And for you today, we are going to talk about the very important subject of job interviewing. Do you know how to express yourself and answer some of those most dreaded questions that people ask you during a job interview? Like, uh, what do you think you're good at? Or tell me about yourself. We've all had those questions. I've had those questions. Our producer, Dave Olson, has had those questions, I'm sure. And Zeke himself, if he were here, he would tell you that he's had those questions. Well, we're going to get a little help from Tom Payne, the president of Essential Growth Solutions. He's written a book called No Medal for Second Place, How to Finish First in Job Interviews. He is our guest this week, and he is going to show us how to put our best foot forward in a non-traditional way during job interviews. Before we get to Tom and have a great conversation with him, we want to remind you that you can find us every week right here on the Talk Zone Talk Channel, or you can get in touch with us on Facebook at MWP Radio AM or on Twitter at MWP Radio Man. And as I said, our mission here many times each and every week is to help you live and work with purpose. And today we're going to be focusing on work by focusing on job interviews. That one chance that you get to inspire someone to hire you because you are the right person for the job. But how do you make that happen in a non-traditional, fun, and informative sort of way so that you can outdo the competition. And our guest this week, Tom Payne, says that even if you are less qualified than all the other applicants, you can win in the interview and show that you are the most qualified candidate in other ways, in unique ways, and show that your personality and who you are as a person can get the job done. But how do we do that? Those are some of the questions that we're going to answer with our very special guest, consultant, author, and speaker, Tom Payne. Well, let's get right to it. Tom Payne is the president of Essential Growth Solutions, a management consultancy. He has been conducting interviewing workshops and coaching individuals through interviewing techniques for over 10 years. He is a volunteer coach for the Career Transition Center of Chicago and for the Elam Davies Social Services Center. He is the author of No Medal for Second Place, How to Finish First in Job Interviews. Welcome, Tom, to the show. How are you this morning? Rich, I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on your show. People don't like to be sold, Tom, but the interview is about selling yourself. How do we sell ourselves without being pushy 
or the normal salesy type of presentation? You have some interesting thoughts on that. Well, that's a great question. You know, most people go about the interviewing process the exact opposite way that they should. So, for example, they think that it's a rational decision that's going to be made, so they beat the uh, interviewer over the head with a 100 reasons why they should be hired, but they don't realize that this interviewer is going to be seeing four to six other people who are going to give him 100 reasons, and he's not going to remember any of this at the end of it. So that's a very ineffective way to sell. You need to sell in a way that's memorable, and one of the most memorable ways of doing that is to use stories that highlight your um, accomplishments because stories are entertaining and they're memorable. Now, is there a certain way that we should tell these stories, Tom? Uh, talk about that. Yeah. For example, the, there are three steps to a story that, it, that are that, of an effective story. The first step is you start off with the challenge. It's almost like the Indiana Jones situation, how is he going to get out of this? So you paint an obstacle that you face, the challenge you face. The second step is you detail the steps that you took, usually no more than three steps, to deal with this challenge. And then the final step is the payoff, the what you, what you produced, your accomplishment. And if you follow those three steps and do it in around a minute's worth of time, then you will have a very effective story. How can we make those stories effective in just a minute's time because to a lot of people a minute doesn't seem like a lot of time or seem like enough time to tell a story about myself how does that work that's a great question um i'll give you an example and i'll also compare it to the wrong style of interviewing so for example you have somebody who um is in the manufacturing field and they have been able to change the quality of the product from one error per thousand opportunities to one error per million opportunities. That's the way they measure errors in manufacturing. So that's a thousand right. fold in, that's a thousand fold increase. That's great. So he goes in front of the interviewer and they say, what are you proudest of? Well, I'm proudest of the fact that I took our manufacturing from one error per thousand opportunities to one error per million opportunities. That's a data point. That's a fact. But now you go up against somebody that's telling the story who has half that accomplishment, and he does better than the one who has twice the accomplishment. So the story goes like this. When I came to Bendix, Inc., we had the reputation for the worst manufacturing in the entire industry, and the quality rate showed it. We had one error per thousand opportunities. I had also the most um, dysfunctional group. We had the lowest morale scores of anyone in the company and the highest turnover. I immediately changed that by engaging them in the work and asking them what we needed to do to fix things. Soon, this engaged team started to produce these, the actual accomplishments that turned this whole thing around. We went from one error per thousand opportunities to one error per 500,000 opportunities. This 500-fold improvement resulted in over a million dollars to the bottom line. And what I'm happiest about is we also developed the highest satisfaction scores when they started doing surveys of our employees. So that's what I'm proudest of. Now, which one is more powerful? <laughs> the person who, who told the story because they made it more personal from my perspective. That's what I see you talking about, Tom, is, is making it more personal. That way the interviewer focuses on the person and what they have actually what they have accomplished instead of the fact that they accomplished something. Absolutely. And here's another thing that goes along with that. If you notice, 
the story amplifies the achievement. It makes it look bigger. It made the, um, the, the achievement that was half what the other person's was seem much larger because it gives it context, and it becomes memorable. You, you see somebody who's tackling a difficult challenge, has a dysfunctional group, and is able to turn it completely around, and you become this remarkable change agent who transformed an organization. So stories are a critical part of, of the success of an interviewing campaign. Can anyone use this story technique or is it a limited or is it a limited technique that only works in certain situations? Because I I'm sure that we have audience people out there that are saying, uh, Tom, you know, my job or my accomplishments aren't uh, that exciting. You know, I just I just do my job and it's and I'm not a good storyteller. What do I what do I say to that person? Well, you, I think that stories work no matter what in every situation. When I, you mentioned that I work at Elam Davies Social Services Center, and that's a group that basically takes care of those people who are the most underrepresented and most challenged individuals in society. So I went to, to talk to them about interviewing practices, and some of the people were recovering, most of them were recovering drug addicts or alcoholics. Some had no teeth. I mean, they're, they're very poor people. But we developed a story for one of them, and this was um, Sherry's story. Now, imagine this. She's working at a job where she's putting stickers on packages. That doesn't sound that high-tech, does it? But it, it resulted in a great story, and it goes something like this. When I first came to the job, we were faced with the task of putting on 1,000 stickers per hour, and I was struggling at around 150 to 200 per hour, and so were all the other new hires. Before you knew it, within three days' time, six of the new hires quit. But I don't quit. So I went to somebody who was easily making their quota, and I asked her, what, what are some of the tricks of the trade? What are you doing differently? She showed me, and before a week's time was out, I was not only making my quota, but I was promoted to a higher level of responsibility. Now, I don't know about you, but I find that story moving because even though the, the task was somewhat menial, it shows the triumph of the human spirit against all odds, and that's what a story can do. It sure does. It sure does. And what I hear you talking about in this early part of the show is that we, need, we, as the person who's being interviewed, need to connect emotionally and emotionally, spiritually, mentally with the person we're being interviewed by. In other words, we're developing a relationship with that person that goes far beyond numbers and facts. Am I uh, reading that right, Tom? Bingo, bullseye. I mean, the decision is not rationally made. It's emotionally made. And so you need to connect with that person on an emotional level. And stories do a couple of things. They make you more likable because they're far more entertaining than, than all of the facts that the poor interviewer gets bombarded with hour after hour. One time, I'll, I'll give you an example of how it can help you out-interview those who are far more qualified. I went through a stage in my career where I went through, I think, four jobs in five years. That's a, that's a real bad resume when you've got that. And so I went for a job right. that was a, it was one of the most um, coveted positions in the medical device industry. It was to launch a revolutionary new product in obstetrics that could actually tell the oxygen saturation level of the blood in a baby while the, before the baby's delivered. So while they're in the birth canal during that most dangerous time. 
Now, I'm right. going up against somebody who has 20 years of experience in medical monitoring in obstetrics, and he has a perfect record. He's working for the largest medical monitoring company in the world, and um, he's on the West Coast. The opportunity is on the West Coast. Oh, and get this. The company that, well, that I'm interviewing with, they have a consultant who wrote the textbook on obstetrics, and this consultant is recommending my competitor for this job. So wow. I'm, I'm doomed. Um, but I go in there, and I have my 10 stories ready and other things that I detail in the book, and I interview against him, and I get the job. And when I ask them afterwards, why, why did you give me the job and not the other guy? The answer was, and I've always remembered it, you had such great stories. Wow. That's, a, that's amazing. What do you say to somebody, Tom, who says, uh, I get, in the job interview, I get tongue-tied, and, and I just don't know what to, uh, what to say. I freeze up. Uh, it's like uh, going to the dentist for me. Yeah, I understand that. Um, the only way that you can overcome that, you have to overcome it, because if you don't project confidence, you're doomed. So the only way to overcome it is to rehearse, rehearse, rehearse until you're tired of rehearsing, and then rehearse some more until you get those responses to where they're like a learned response. So, for example, when somebody is um, ice skating in the Olympics and they fall down and they get up right in the middle of the routine and they resume their routine as if nothing has happened, that only comes from rehearsing hundreds of times. And you need to, you need to put in the work if you're going to do well in the, in the interviewing process. Okay, let's talk about some of that work here as we're getting farther into the, farther into your method and how to really tell the story of our lives. That's what I hear you, that's what I hear you saying. Uh, take us through the steps. If I was a client of yours, what would I do? What would you have me do to develop those stories and develop the person that I am so I can show that, per, show that person to that interviewer? Well, the first thing I'd do is something that I think you probably do on your show, which is um, make sure that the person is always positive. <clears throat> now, here's the problem that most people face when they go through job loss, and I see it every day when I coach people. They are down. They feel like they're a burden to society. They, they don't know why, why it's happened to them, but they're just they're, they're depressed. They think that they're a problem um, seeking a solution, an unemployed person seeking a job. And I tell them, You've got to reverse that. It's all, you've got to always be positive. You've got to look at yourself as being the solution to a hiring authority's problems. You're not a problem seeking a solution. You're a solution seeking their problems because you can solve problems. You've done them before. You've done it before and you can do it again. So when you get them to start thinking in a positive way, they no longer look at, well, why should I network? Why would anybody want to talk to me? They start thinking about it in terms of, Everyone should want to talk to me because I have the answers to some of their problems. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what I hear you saying is that we don't often think of ourselves as a person with solutions, but sometimes that comes from making mistakes in how, in how we see ourselves. So I, so I hear you saying that the way we see ourselves is the way that we are going to project in that interview, and we need to project 
the person that we really are to that interviewer. Am I getting it right? Yeah, we need to project the positive aspects of our nature because everyone has weaknesses. Everyone has downsides. There's no perfect person. But during an interview, it's like a cocktail party or a dinner party. You have a unique social setting, and you're not there to demonstrate or display your weaknesses. You're there to display your strengths, and that's understood. And if you start displaying your weaknesses, well, that's kind of like the kiss of death because you need to always be positive in the situation. Even when they ask you what your weaknesses are, you need to be positive. Okay, Tom, I'm going to play interviewer with you. Uh, just before we, just a couple minutes before we go to our first break, and I'm going to be the interviewer, and I'm going to ask you that question, Tom. What are your weaknesses, and and why should I hire you? Okay, go. Watch how do you I, answer watch, that question? Watch what I do and how I structure it. Oh, my weaknesses. That's a great question because, but you know, people are so biased and lack objectivity in themselves that it's difficult for anyone to answer that question in a truthful manner. So what I did was I went to Myers-Briggs. It's an assessment test, and it tells you about your strengths and weaknesses. And one of the strengths it told me about was that I have the ability to absorb uh, tremendous amounts of information, distill it down to its most important points, and solve problems. But it pointed out a weakness, and it said that I need to listen to more inputs from individuals before I make decisions. And so what I've done with that is I've, I basically have developed a structure whereby if I'm making a decision that impacts my employees, the people who are reporting to me, that I present it to them first and I let them take it apart and give me some, and, uh, give me some ideas as to how to make it better. And you know what? It, it's made every one of my decisions better, this input. So I'm happy that I, I know this weakness because it's enabled me to make, turn it into a strength. Now, I've just basically gone on for two minutes on my strengths and for about 20 seconds on my weakness. And also I sandwich the weakness in the middle. People tend to remember what's said first and what's said last. So if I start with my strength, say the weakness in the middle, end with the strength, pretty soon the only thing that they remember are my strengths. So I've turned this invitation to commit suicide into an invitation to display my strengths. That's, that's excellent, Tom. One more question before we go, before we go to break. How come this approach that you have taken that seems to be so revolutionary hasn't been done by anyone else? You know, I think that it's, it, we're, we're developing an understanding of the psychology of sales. So for example, I, de- I wrote a, I developed a sales training program that, that took our company small Midwestern company, about $30 million in sales, it, it more than doubled their, our sales and took us to a 55 or over 50% market share position. And we were competing against multi-billion dollar companies like Tyco, GE, Hillrom. But we were able to beat them because I was able to train our people in the appropriate way of selling. And the appropriate way of selling these large systems, they're about you know a couple of million dollars installed, so they were very, very big pieces of equipment. The way to sell that is through understanding the whole complex sales process. Most people approach sales in a simple way. They think that, okay, I present my, my features and benefits, and then I close, 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 close. Well, that's the way you do it for simple sales. In complex sales, you never ask for the order. You just you present in such a compelling way that, that they, 
ask you for the order, essentially. And uh, that's what I taught them, uh, how to, to master the complex sales process. I then took that complex sales process because I saw it work perfectly for interviewing, and I transferred it over to the interviewing world. That's excellent. More with Tom Payne, the author of No Medal for Second Place, How to Finish First in Job Interviews on this edition of Motivation with a Purpose after this time out. You're listening to Motivation with a Purpose Radio on TalkZone.com. Back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. We are back in this on this edition of Motivation with a Purpose. I'm Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo, my co-host, is again away on a special assignment in business this week. Our guest is Tom Payne, the author of No Medal for Second Place, How to Finish First in Job Interviews. We're having a great discussion with him in revolutionizing the interview process, how to show yourself by telling stories, and letting the person who is interviewing you get to know the real person behind that job applicant. Tom, this has been a fascinating discussion, and I want to take it in a different direction and ask you, uh, you talked about telling stories, and you talked about this revolutionary approach to selling ourselves. Who's better at it, men or women? <laughs> oh, that's a good one. Um, I've, I've managed salespeople for many years and it's you know it depends upon the situation the individual that's being sold to sometimes a woman has built-in advantages in a sales situation other times men do um it but it also depends upon their their personality and their style both both are extremely effective if they're well trained now you say that there are assumptions that are in important that we know about in this interview process in reading several of the chapters of your book you talked talked about these assumptions and i want you to talk to our listeners this morning about those false assumptions that we make why don't we start with the the number number one and we'll go through the entire list that you talk about in your book yeah the number one assumption that we make is that it's a rational decision. And even when we don't assume that, we act as if the hiring decision is rational. And so that's that's a big problem because it's not. It's an emotional decision. As I try to teach, tell people, for example, I was working with a guy who has a postgraduate engineering degree from Stanford, off the charts smart, uh, 800 SATs. And I was able to convince him that style is more important than substance in an interview because whoever's being interviewed has substance. But the way that they interview, the way they connect emotionally with the um, interviewer is far more important. So if you, for example, can make the interviewer feel comfortable, relaxed, um, if you can be likable, if you can evoke the emotion of trust by showing your competence, the way you handle yourself during the interview, you have a much, much greater chance of succeeding than those people who um, are going at it like they're being interviewed by a computer. When I throw one reason after another at an interviewer, pretty soon their mind shuts down. And I ask people Mm -hmm. to think, imagine you're in school or you were in high school or college, and you go through one class after another, and 
you have 100 facts thrown at you after another, at the end of that school day, how much of it do you remember? You probably remember the first thing that you were taught and maybe the last thing if you're lucky. Yeah, it's that's about right. And everything in the middle is kind of confused and confusing. So I um, I teach them that the number one thing that they need to overcome is this idea that it's a, a rational decision. I mean, as I, as I tell people, emotions are far, far stronger than reason. Try to reason somebody out of being in love. It's just it, reason just is too weak in, in, in advance of that. And by the way, the more important the decision, the more emotional the decision becomes. Because if it's important to the hiring authority, if it's going to cost a lot of money if they make a mistake, then there's fear involved. And that fear will overcome any of their reasons and rationality um, because it's it's their self-interest at stake. And won't they go back to a personal situation that relates to the interview situation that they were in before and probably act the same way or react the same way? In an em- emotionally, or no, am I are, or am I wrong there? We are pe- creatures of habit, and so those things that have impacted us emotionally in the past can all of a sudden trigger responses that are completely irrational uh, during the interviewing process. So, for example, if someone um, didn't look someone in the eyes, and 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 that person turned out to be a total disaster, and I have poor eye contact with um, the, the interviewer. That could be the death knell for me in that interview, even though I'm the most qualified person that they're looking at, and even if I'm the best choice, because that emotional response to past experiences overpowers rationality. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what I hear you saying is that the interviewer is looking for different things than we've been traditionally taught this morning. In that they, they are looking. Level. Go ahead. Go ahead. They want a comfort level. You know, if if I, for example, I'm going to be working with you for every day for the next, you know, every weekday for the next five to ten years, however long you stay there, however long I stay there, and if you make me feel uncomfortable in some ways, how likely mm-hmm. is it that I'm going to hire you so that you can make me feel uncomfortable for five years or ten years? It's that sort of emotional, visceral connection that is the, the more important thing when it comes to determining what the hiring decision is going to be. Well, I know, Tom, that when I'm around someone that I'm uncomfortable with, the whole time I'm around that person, I'm thinking about how uncomfortable I am with that person rather than the job or the task that we're involved in or even getting to know that person. Oh, absolutely so I can right. so I can see where where that's coming from because you're not focusing on your primary goal and your mind and your emotions is getting put into a lot of things that you shouldn't be thinking about. In other words, you're I see you saying that we're thinking about everything except the task at hand. Yeah, and let me give you that that Stanford grad that I was talking about. Let me give you his recent story. He recently was hired, um, and I was coaching him. But he uh, he adopted the approach that I talked to him about. He developed the stories. I know because I helped him edit them, and they were very powerful stories. Well, then he says, 
I'm going on an informational interview with a company I worked with before and um, to see if, if, if I can network my way back into that field. I haven't been there for five years, so it's going to be tough. But, you know, maybe these people who I once knew and worked with will, allow, will, will give me some ideas as to where I can look. So he goes there, and he finds out once he arrives that he's going to be gone for two days. Each day he will have nine interviews at two different offices in two different states. So he's got 18 interviews now that he's got to go through. And he didn't think he was going to get one. He thought he was going for informational interviewing. But he was prepared. And so he was relaxed. He was calm. He was confident. But he was told before he started this process by one of his friends that a couple of the people in the company did not want him back. And so he had that additional pressure put on him. But because he was so well prepared, it didn't phase him. He not only aced all the interviews, he got the people who were against him to now be for him. And, bef and when he was getting ready to leave, they didn't say, we'll get back in touch with you. They said, um, look, either office, whichever job you want, let us know and it's yours. And then they gave him an offer that was at the top end of the salary range so that he didn't even have to do a counter offer because there was, there was no room left. They wanted him that badly. And that's because he changed his style. Evidently, his style before had alienated some of the people at the company. But when you adopt a style that's pleasant and warm and charming, you can charm even those people who are against you. That's, a, that's amazing, Tom. I got to say, so far this morning, uh, you have really revolutionized my thinking about the interview, about the interview process. And looking over your book last night, prior to our conversation this morning, these are actually some things that I'd never even thought about before. And I've interviewed people and talked to people in the radio business for a number of years. And, uh, you know, talking to people is a second hat, uh, for me. And, You've completely revolutionized my thinking this morning about how to connect with people. And uh, I just want to say that I appreciate you very much wanting to be a part of our show. And that leads me to my next question. We've all had it on a job interview. And I know that uh, you're probably going to get a smile on your face when I ask this question. How do we tackle the tell me about yourself question? Yeah, that's a that's a very, very important question because most people do a very poor job at it. Um, most people, because they believe that the decision is rational, will use that as an opportunity to dump as many facts as possible on the interviewer in as short a period of poss as possible. So they might drone on for two to five minutes answering that question, covering everything in their background. What I tell people to do is to make sure that the answer is a little over one minute at most, and you cover, you know, you can cover your education if it's a really sterling education. You can go into some of your achievements, then you go into your skill sets, and then you you end with a question that puts a smile on their face every time. It's something like this. Well, I went to prestigious university and I graduated with an with an MBA also from this other university. And my education continued when I went to um, Bada Bing LLC. It was a very small startup, but it taught me entrepreneurial lessons that I've since applied in, in my business. And at the larger company where I worked, Acme Inc., I learned to be a Six Sigma black belt in manufacturing and um, mastered all sorts of new processes. Among my skills, and one of the things that I did that I was proudest of was 
I developed a, a, a team. I turned a team around that was ranked as one of the worst in the country as far as manufacturing and turned them into the best in their industry. Among my skill sets are team leading, communication, leadership, um, problem solving. Which of these areas would you like for me to discuss? And you basically have covered this wide range of stuff that are, that's powerful in a period of one minute and then you turn over soft control to the interviewer, asking them, is there any particular part of this that you want to discuss? So I think that that structure is much more powerful than the typical, I'm going to drone on for five minutes. Well, and it sounds like, once again, you're using the story application to tell a story about yourself once again. That was a... That was just a modified story, but I got, but you got all of your important points in your edu, the education, a important comp, accomplishment, and then, like you stated before, end with a question, end with a question for your interviewer. Now, what if a person comes to you and says, "I don't, I don't know how to." Ask questions in an interview because ask the interviewer questions. How do you tackle how do you tackle that uh, scenario, I would, Tom? I would say that at a minimum, your questions are need to be designed to uncover what exactly they're looking for and what the profile is of the person that the, who they're trying to hire. So you might ask a question something like this: um, Please. Think about the most successful people who've occupied this position before me and what was it that set them apart from everyone else. And so they're going to probably tell you some of the more important things that they're looking for. Well, the person who succeeded in this job was like this. They did the following. And you're picking up this information because at the end of the interview, which typically follows the, when you ask questions, you want to be able to say, Okay, during the course of this interview, I think I've shown that I was, I was the excellent team, um, team builder in, in the jobs that I've held, and that was one of the things that you said was so critical about this position. Another thing that you said was so critical were communication skills, and I think I demonstrated that when I talked about this and this and this. And um, my only question now that I have left is, is there anything that's that's holding me back from going to the next level in this job search process because I think I'm a perfect fit for this job and I'm I'm very interested in it. That is a that was a great answer, Tom. You brought up another point that I think is sometimes overlooked in a lot of different situations that we find ourselves in, and in, that includes the interviewing situation. How does a person develop their listening skills? You know, that's a, that's, a, that's a tough one. The only way I think that you can develop um, listening skills is, if, particularly if you're a talker, is to just keep your mouth closed. And it's sometimes difficult for talkers because extroverted people, they think out loud even. When they're, you know, introverts think inside their head, but extroverts, they're much more expressive. So it can be difficult for them to sometimes slow down the um, amount of talking that they do. But that's what needs to take place. And you need to you need to take an active interest in the person who you're who you're dealing with. You need to think that whatever they say, whatever nuance, tone of voice, 
facial expression, it's all important, and I need to be observing all of it. So if you put yourself in a position of understanding just how important what they're communicating to you is, then you tend to focus on it more. Um, and what, what they're communicating through nonverbals and verbal communications is critical because uh, they, they're revealing just how you're hitting the mark or missing the mark. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How much research should I do about the person that is interviewing me prior to the interview? You know, since we've got LinkedIn and we've got the Internet, you can find out a lot about somebody. But I um, I think it's critical for the human connection. So, for example, you may read up on someone who's um, who's just received this award and they're now interviewing you, but they're, they mention in the article that's in the, that you find on the Internet that this person is also into being a gourmet chef or gourmet cook. And you might talk about that because what would that person more like to talk about than what they're truly passionate about? You say, you know, I, I read an article about you and it said you're a gourmet chef. How did you get involved in that? Or it could be that you're also into cooking and you could share that passion with them. And you, you'd be amazed at how that human connection can help to develop the, the ties that lead to a job uh, offer. More with Tom Payne, the author of No Medal for Second Place, How to Finish First in Job Interviews on this edition of Motivation with a Purpose after this time out. It's time for more Motivation with a Purpose radio on TalkZone.com. Now, back to your hosts, Rich Hallstrom and Zeke Bambolo. Welcome back to Motivation with a Purpose. I'm Rich Hallstrom. Our guest is Tom Payne, the author of No Medal for Second Place, How to Finish First in Job Interviews. Tom, great conversation. We're learning a lot of inside stuff about job interviews. want to thank you once again for being on the show this morning. You talk about the importance of repetition with variation during the job interview. Let's talk a little bit about that right now, and I want to know what you mean by that. Okay, for example, when I gave the value statement or elevator pitch, when I answered, tell me about yourself, I briefly mentioned that story that I used when I gave the example of the manufacturing story. Well, then, during the course of the interview, I would still work that story in there to repeat it because when you repeat something, I would be repeating it in a different way, and it would have a different sort of slant to it and more meaning. But as I repeat these things, they become memorable. Stories are inherently memorable, but when you repeat something, it makes it even more memorable. I would then embed that same story in my resume, in a bullet point. It would reference, for example, turn dysfunctional team around, or leadership skills, turn dysfunctional team into the most motivated, satisfied group within the company, um, added $1 million to the bottom line, you know, producer, that sort of thing. And so there would be snippets of the story in bullet points in the resume. So. When the, read, when the person is finishing with the interviews and they've done all of them, they look at the top part and they see that summary of qualifications. Well, that's where I would have my elevator speech or value statement. It would be an edited version of it. And they'd say, oh, I remember this guy. He was the only person who answered that question in a way that didn't make me wish that I could just, you know, close my ears off. 
And then they look down further and they say, I remember that story. That, that's great. And pretty soon you're separating yourself from your competition. Your, your resume is being remembered and it's moving to the top while everybody else's is being forgotten and moving to the bottom. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Excellent. That leads me to my next question. What if I'm a first-time job interview? Being, inter- being interviewed for the first time. I'm going on my very first job interview. I'm talking about a young person who's never really done the job interview uh, gauntlet or gone through the job interview gauntlet. What would be your advice to them? I would say that the one thing that people fail to do, and this would apply to first-time job seekers and people who have sought jobs over a course of many years, is to understand your strengths, and your interests or passion and, and, and be able to express them. Because if you truly understand your strengths and you can articulate them to a, a hiring authority in a almost passionate manner, then it resonates with them. It connects with them. And they then get a clear picture of the potential value that you can bring to an organization. So you may just be out of college or high school or whatever, but you have some life experiences where you've actually produced some things of value. And whatever those things that you've produced of value that you enjoy doing, those are things that are aligned with your strengths and your passions. And the key reason why it's important to know that is not only to articulate it, but to be able to leverage your strengths. Because how can you leverage them unless you know what they are? Um, and so one of the things I could talk to you about if you want to is the peak moments exercise, which helps you determine your strengths. Let's let's do that. Talk to me about the peak moments exercise. Okay, so if you want to find out your strengths, and it's not that easy of a thing to do, it takes some work, you can do a couple of things. One, you can go through assessment tests like Myers-Briggs or DISC or Strength Finders and things like that. But another thing you can do is sit down, sheet of paper, and write down those times when you felt like you were in the flow, in the zone. Time was just flying by when you were doing this task. And you produce great results, and the great results gave you great joy. So that's a peak moment. Now, one woman who was a attorney went through this peak moments exercise, and she came up with this strange answer. She said, one of my peak moments was planning my wedding. I, I loved it. I loved everything about it. I loved putting all the details together, making sure everything was perfect, and it was perfect, and everyone had a wonderful time. Well, that enabled her to understand that, this lawyer gig that she was doing was just draining her dry. It, it, it wasn't satisfying at her, all, her at all because her strengths lay in a different direction. And she was able to use that knowledge to network into a job that was better suited to her strengths. That's awesome. That's awesome. Now, on this show, Tom, uh, one of the things that uh, Zeke and myself like to do is we like to put ourselves under the microscope and put ourselves front and center and kind of use ourselves as our own guinea pig. So I'm going to set up a scenario. Uh, One of my dreams for the longest time has always been to work at ESPN on ESPN Sports Center or be a play-by-play announcer on college football or pro football for ESPN. And uh, that's been one of the things that's on the on the uh, bucket list. Let's so to, let's 
let's say, for my uh, broadcasting career. So I want to pretend this morning to see if I can uh, put some of your principles into action for myself and so our our audience can learn. I want to put myself in that situation of being interviewed by ESPN and see if I can use some of your techniques to see if I've been actually paying attention during our conversation this morning. So I would like you to be the uh, talent evaluator for ESPN, and we'll do a little bit of a mock interview. Are you up for the challenge? You bet. Tom, first of all, thank you very much for the opportunity to discuss a position as a play-by-play announcer or sports center anchor with ESPN. I just want to thank you very much for that opportunity and for the opportunity just to speak with you this morning because I know that you could be speaking with a lot of people about these positions, but I just want to say that I appreciate that and I appreciate the opportunity to potentially work at ESPN. Well, we're glad to have you here, Rich. The question that I would have for you, though, now that you've come here for this opportunity, is, is simply this. Your background is different from the backgrounds of many of our current um, pr- current announcers or play-by-play announcers. What is it about your background that, thinks, that makes you think that you'd be a fit for this position? Well, I would be a fit for this position because there – because of one thing, being a play-by-play announcer and being on Sports Center means you get to tell inspiring stories. And I believe that my life in itself has been an, expi- been an inspiring story. I was born two months premature with jaundice and pneumonia, and I overcame that to graduate high school and go on to broadcasting school. And to cover the NFL by covering the Seattle Seahawks for 18 years as a freelance sports reporter, covered Super Bowl 40 in Detroit. And all those experiences were all opportunities to tell stories and affect people's lives and inspire them. That's the modus operandi or motivation behind our radio show, Motivation with a Purpose Radio, is to inspire people on both a professional and personal level in every area of their lives. And I think ESPN does that on a daily basis, and that's why I want to be a part of the team. I I think that you did very well. I just have a question for you on uh, with respect to this this position. It sounds like with the stories and everything, you are – basically positioning yourself more as a color commentator because the play-by-play people are basic are they're giving the facts and they're they're you know let, keeping people up to date with the plays and stuff whereas the color people are the ones who are inserting the interest and the human interest aspects of it are you interested in the color commentating or in the um, play-by-play I would be inter- I would be interested in both because I believe that there are story elements in both, but they're just displayed different, displayed differently. But there is a, but each game or each event is a story in and of itself with stories inside of stories. 
excellent players, accomplishments within the game. So it's all a matter of telling the story. People just have different uh, different jobs. As a color commentator, it comes out in a different style. As a play-by-play commentator, there's a different style. But you're all telling, but you're all telling a story, and each part needs to work together so that the audience sees the full picture. Yeah, I can see that. You know, one thing that um, I would like to tell the the listening your listening audience is, um, and this probably plays in with some of your philosophy and motivational uh, concepts. It's the idea of radical responsibility. One of the um, conceptions that false conceptions or assumptions that people have is that somehow they're not responsible for the outcome of the interview, that it's because the person was irritable or irritated or or maybe it's because um, I was the last person that they interviewed or something like that and the person was already tired. But we need to have an attitude of radical responsibility that if we failed, there's only one person who is at fault, and that's us. And it's an energizing concept because we're the only person that we have control over. And so if we make the adjustments that are necessary because of this attitude, then we just get better and better each time. And we never accept um, failure as an excuse. It's a learning opportunity. Now, going on with that responsibility point, Tom, that you just brought up, which I think is a very, very key point, do you think that that point, along with the ability to tell stories and talk about oneself in a positive way, are the two hardest things for job interview candidates to learn? The story thing is is, is difficult, for one reason and one reason only, and this again goes back to the responsibility point, people aren't willing to put in the time to to craft the story, to make it good, to make it one minute long, to memorize it so that they can tell it off the top of their head. As I tell people, if you write down a first draft, you're going to find out that you can easily cut it in half because you're, you're always too wordy on a first draft, no matter who you are. Uh, but if you're, tr- if you're doing an interview and you haven't prepared your stories in advance, then you're giving a first draft off the top of your head in one of the most pressure-packed situations there is. You're really going to be wordy, and your story is really going to be weak. So you've got to put in the time and the work. It takes like five to ten editing sessions just to produce one story. So we're talking about hours and hours, difficult hours of work. But as that person from Stanford showed, the time is well spent because you can make people who dislike you and don't want to see you succeed all of a sudden embrace you and want you on board when you can when you can use these powerful techniques. How many stories should we have prepared for an interview, Tom? That's a great question, and people are going to freak out when I say it, but I think that you should have about 10 stories. And the reason why I think that is because if you're thinking about an interview is typically about an hour long, if you have 10 one-minute stories, then you're not talking about um, taking up the entire interview with stories. You're spacing them out, spicing up the conversation with these stories, and they're just a better way of presenting your credentials and your achievements. Tom, in our remaining moments, what are the lessons you want people to take away from our conversation this morning? That 
most people in the interviewing world are running in the wrong direction. And if you learn how to run in the right direction, you can out-interview those who are far more qualified than you because you'll make those emotional connections that will bring you on board while the other people who are relying on their substance and not the style with which they present their substance, they're going to bore the interviewer. They're going to seem like boring people, and people don't want to be around boring people. But if you're telling entertaining stories, you become more likable, and your achievements become bigger. But it's going to take a lot of work. This is an, If you're going to run in the right direction, prepare to work hard. But it's there, there's no better way to, to spend your effort, because... You're looking for work, and this is the way to secure it. What does it mean to you to help people that are in this job interview situation and see them succeed? i got to tell you, it's one of the greatest feelings that you could possibly have. Um, when I was in sales management, for example, and I was able to coach people who were on the verge of being fired and turn them into superstars, that was a great feeling because I'd turned that person's life around, and I knew that I'd had a huge impact on their life. And it's the same with this. When you have somebody who is just down on themselves and, and they're struggling and you're able to give them hope and direction and see them succeed, it's, it's, it's a great feeling. Now, let's suppose, and I know that there has to be people out, have to be people out there today looking for jobs and stuff right now one piece of advice that they can take into an interview today as we close? One piece of advice. Um, I would just say understand that this is an emotional decision that's being made. Don't try to overwhelm them with facts and factoids. Be warm, personable, charming. Your nonverbals make, help make you warm, so smile. Practice smiling. Do those things that help make an emotional connection because ultimately the decision will be emotionally made, not rationally made. Tom, how do we get the book? You can get the book by going to TomPayne.com. You can get it on Amazon. You can get it, uh, you can get it any number of places. You can have your bookstore order it. You can have libraries order it. But it's um, you can find it on Amazon or at my website, TomPayne.com. And there are a lot of other, um, in my blog on my website, there are a lot of resources and information about how to interview. So that might be of interest to you also. Tom, thank you very much for joining us on Motivation with a Purpose. Tom, Tom Payne has been our special guest this morning. He is the author of No Medal for Second Place, How to Finish First in Job Interviews, I'm Rich Hallstrom, and this has been another exciting edition of Motivation with a Purpose. Join us next week right here on Talk Zone.